Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
Jews, and also the Roman Jews tried to do that other guy to make a way to kill the church. Galatians 2 is our theme passage for our series. I'll remind you of what we read last week. Paul tells the Christians there in Galatia, he says, We've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Now, James, of course, uh, that uh, personal pronoun there for us, we, is us. Because what Paul says there applies not just to him, but to all of the children of God. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And we said, really, it is to be or should be the goal of our lives, to live out a life that mirrors the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yesterday, as Mr. Carroll, Roger Kuehl, pointed out that, you know, I think Mr. Carroll did that as well this week. I believe that the true, true assault the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he did. And uh, I think that's a wonderful testimony and truth that can be said of any of us at the end of our lives. And, you know, we said that we're going to define our lives, that we hope that our lives will be defined by the cross, that, uh, People would see us as people of the cross, that our life itself would have a cross-shapedness to it. And uh, so that's the goal in our series. Last week we looked at that personal truth that we are to live by, being Galatians 2, verse 20. And today I want us to think about reaching the lost in our world, because that's the first and primary calling that we have as Christians. I'll read you something from John Dixon's book, Hope of Nations. And listen to what he says about our efforts to reach the lost world. He says, in a post-Christian world, if you didn't know it, that's where we're at today. We used to be a Christian sort of world, Christian sort of nation in terms of our general makeup. And folks, I got bad news for you. If you didn't know it, that, that's no longer the case. We exist in a post-Christian world. And he says, we will be ambassadors to foreign crowds that maybe diplomatic reports favors who have been told the very worst about Christianity. We can either constantly bemoan the reality that our faith, non-Christian neighbors are behaving like faithful but not Christians, or we can, he says, acknowledge that we are now ambassadors in an ideological foreign land. Talk about John talking about in Africa or Asia or some other part of the world. He's talking about in the U.S. today. He goes on and says, in some ways, our task in America today is more difficult than the task of missionaries to people who have never heard of Christianity. We are now missionaries to a culture, he says, that has been told lies and half-truths at best about Christianity. To a land where a growing number of people believe that Christians are historically oppressors, slave masters, and inhumane conquerors. 
and, and there are times I think in this world and in this life that Christians, they, they act ashamed of the Word of God. You let the subject of Christianity come up, you, you let the subject of the Bible come up, and you let the subject today, some of the hot topics today, same-sex issues come up. If you just watch, if there's Christians in that conversation, all of a sudden, what do they do? They try to drop their head and change the subject. I don't want to go there because I don't want to defend the Bible, and I don't want to argue a point that this world wants to reject and argue and deny. That's where we are as Christians. But Jesus says to us, we are to die to self. We're to take up the cross. We're to follow him. We're to be willing to stand fast, stand firm. We're going to be willing to lay down our lives at the foot of the cross. And that is no easy thing. To live out a cross-shaped life is a hard thing. They were called to be his disciples. And were called to be his ambassadors. And our first and primary call, after the call of salvation, is to reach those who are lost. And what John Dickerson writes in the book of Galatians tells us it's no easy job. I want us to think this morning about reaching the lost. I want us to think why it's so hard to reach lost people. Let me just say this morning, if you're here, if you're listening at home, if you're lost, that I'm going to talk to you about why it is that you want to put Jesus off, that you want to push off coming to Christ. And I'm going to be firm with you, but I want you to know that what I'm telling you, I'm telling you in love. And I hope that you can see that that what I'm saying to you is giving it up. But you and I, dear friend, as we think about reaching the lost and talking to those who are lost, need to understand that we need to be ready to stand against the opposition that that comes against behavior, behavior that damns our friends, damns our family members, and damns our loved ones, and endorses a behavior that leads to hell. That's not popular in a post-Christian world, but it is the truth. We must be prayer. We must be faithful. Now, having said that, I want you to turn down to Romans 1. And I'm going to read verses 18 through verse 32. We'll read all of it. That way, when we go back through it, we won't have to ask it. Uh, Paul, so long as some of it. So I want you to get the full picture of what Paul is saying to the Romans here. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And he's talking about the lost. He's talking about the unrighteous. For the wrath of God, he says, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the image resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. Before that, God gave them up. You want to ask me where I'm uh, afraid of there? That 
sexually adulterous. How about atheists? They push away even sound thinking and push back the things of God to embrace the sinful stupidity of religion and atheism. Some reject the God's truth, a simple renouncement of God himself, and a third thing that leads people away from God to a lot of pure reproach from God. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who labor in unrighteousness of rest and truth. Now let me tell you something. One of the worst things that people say that you can do is be Some things God allows, some things God allows, some things God allows. 
but I do know this, his ways are not my ways, but I also know this, his ways are better than mine. And so when God says this is a perversion or this is not right, no one may question how you are my faith and accept his wisdom, his commitment. And no one can hope that one day I will have a better understanding. There's judgment for social perversion, verses 28 through 31. It's a running commentary on today. How again I'm shocked by the evil. That is meant for them. You know, really, I'm not shocked by the evilness of government. I'm not shocked by the evilness of the media. I'm not shocked by the evilness of Hollywood. The most powerful people are how the masses today call evil good and good. You can argue with me. I'll give you an example. You can argue with me, and you almost can sort of get me to In the very early part of a pregnancy, a woman might have a right to choose not to have a baby. I said, you almost could. There, you could even say, well, it takes a little rape for incest and, and mother's life. And you, you could make some points where you would pretty well start to sway me, even though that my heart really fixed on that, that all life is sacred and sacred unto God. You can start to play that. But dear friend, there is absolutely no way you'll ever convince this old boy and this preacher that it is okay for the baby to come out of that mother's womb to kill its life and to say, well, I didn't want it anyway. And I don't understand how any society, any people can say that's an okay thing. We are living in a perverse society. We are living in a spiritual perversion. It isn't just sexual, it isn't just social, but it's spiritual. Three times here, God says, I'm going to give them over, give them over, and give them over. My worry is God will give us over and give us up. That's where our series is headed. We need to be praying for revival here today because we are living in the same land that the Lord saves. And our children and our grandchildren are filled with. The, the pains of the judgment of God and that judgment is for them. I read for you last week just a bit of Matt Walsh's description of how he once said, you can pretty well tell that that whole book, uh, you know, lays waste to everything because he, 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 he's tough. But he said something here I thought we would share with you too. This is one of his later chapters about the, the sharing the gospel and the acceptance of gospel and the, 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 the truth of Christianity. I'm going to read it for you, and I'll read it. This is the simple truth of the Christian walk and salvation. Christ is there for anyone who really wants him. Heaven is open to anyone who actually wants to go there. But we only want to go to heaven if we want a life that is completely consumed by Christ and nothing else. If we want to live, that is, only parts of Christ, but we don't want to go to heaven. We may as well admit it now, while there's still time. If Christ is, is not close to our primary joy in life, how can we go to a place where he's the only joy? If we are content to make Christ only a part of our lives here, how can we go to a place where there is no life apart from him? 
question to myself is this before I ask it to anyone else. I certainly know that my life is revolved entirely around Christ and Christ. But the most important question I have faced is this do I love it? Do I love my life to revolve around Christ? The great divorce here is described in Israelite, where Esau, if you're a very fine, is a history of one story. No soul that seriously passes the desire to start or whatever looks at the thing. Lot says on the right there, the joy of God offers the only kind of joy available anywhere to anyone is a joy of selflessness, adoration, and love. Many will decline their offer because they don't want to uh, let go of their sexual pride, hatred, or whatever other stupid little thing they organize their life around. In the end, we get what we really want. That is both the beautiful and the terrifying truth of the The final interrogation of Jacob and Abraham will be very expensive. Will I be quizzed about how much he gave to charity, or how many old ladies he helped across the street, or how many hours he spent praying? Those things are all good and important in those days. Here's the gospel point. When our time comes and we are standing before the throne of judgment, God, I ask, will only need to ask one question. And it's the simplest and most thought question anyone could ever ask. And here it is. Ask of God tonight, what do you want? And at that time, he said, before the first time, we'll be forced to answer honestly. We will stand there in that place where no lies can be uttered. No matter what answer we give to the faithful question, I'm sure that God's response will be the same. So be it, my child, don't you do. Then two doors will open before you. One for life and one for death. Which one do you want to be born? What do you think? Now I'm not going to argue about simple theological points in the text. I confess I can't do that. But what I do want to stress is that I think that many of you know that you do have some choices to make about what this really means. Do we want In the centuries, God is God. He is sovereign. He is over all. He knows all things. But I do believe God has given every man, woman, boy, and woman free choice. And God has written in His holy decree not even few will die in our righteousness. My question this morning to you is what do you choose? Say, you know, how could God be loving if He would send somebody to hell? Well, I got news for you today. If you end up in hell, God's not sent you to hell, He sent Jesus Christ to you. You chose to be with Him. You chose to be with Him. He's written in the stars, He's written in the sky. Dear friends, God has either bought and blinded you. For a short time that we call my father, God asked you to trust him for his way to live and not for yourself. I don't think that's too much to ask or too much to expect. 
We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.